my my goal for documenting this is to show that these are extremely experimental and we don't know what we're doing because we are trying to uh, create function and create appearance in, in a person where that's not natural. Whereas medicine is supposed to be about reform, restoring a person's natural functioning and preserving it, uh, not 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 uh, trying to put wings on someone to see if it works, which is essentially what we're doing. Hello and welcome to Trigonometry. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantine Kisson. And this is a show for you if you want honest conversations with fascinating people. Our brilliant guest today has been banned from YouTube. So here is Exolancic for Exolancic. Welcome to Trigonometry. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. I've been really looking forward to this. Uh, it's great to have you on the show. I can tell you a lot of our fans, particularly the female ones, have been looking to this forward to this as well. Uh, Tell us who are you, how are you where you are, why is everyone so looking forward to hearing us interview you? Uh, so, so my name is uh, Exelanzik, as you said, and uh, I have been uh, making content related to the, uh, the trans zeitgeist for the past year. Uh, and uh, the way that I make content is that I find uh, largely personal narratives and I respond to them point by point uh, and try to give a medical context for the hor horrific nightmares that they're living through. Uh, and explain how these are very predictable. And uh, uh, I'm seeking to kind of educate the audience uh, uh, in, in a way that, uh, I don't know if you ever saw the show Daria, but I feel like my my channel, my my content mimics uh, the show in within that show called Six Sad World. Uh, so so um, in any case, uh, I also have made uh, a lot of responses to the show I Am Jazz. Uh, and uh, the uh, main star of that show had a vaginoplasty when he was 17 after having his puberty suppressed for many years. Uh, and then I'm also have been looking at the, uh, the medical industry and specific doctors and responding to uh, their comments and their advertisements on TikTok and uh, just generally attempting to uh, raise the alarm that, that, that these are very, very bad uh, interventions that are being given to people on the basis of their mental illness. And so I think a lot of people are excited to hear you interview me because uh, they didn't realize that this was going on. Uh, or they live through it, and and uh, uh, or they they narrowly missed falling into it, and are grateful for that. Um, so, and do you have a, some kind of personal connection with this issue? Uh yes, I do. I was uh, uh, trans identifying for about four years in college. Uh, I went to uh, University of California Berkeley, which is where uh, uh, Judith Butler teaches, and so I was very much steeped in gender ideology uh, and and the different interpretations on it. Uh, and so I've used that as a kind of a, a basis for talking about the more uh, religious elements and the different uh, doctrinal splits that have emerged between uh, like what I've been calling trans classic and, and uh, the church of the non-binaries. Uh, so so uh, uh, I was uh, very much steeped in that. My social circle was steeped in that. I was a gender and women's studies major. And so I was, it was, that was just my life for several years. And I watched some friends transition and I saw the reality of it. And uh, then I went to graduate school and I, I studied uh, uh, speech and language pathology. And part of that is, is studying uh, pronouns and pronoun disorders. And so as a, a clinician, I treat pronoun disorders. I treat people who have had brain injuries and they can use other words, but they can't use pronouns anymore. And I want them to be uh, safe at work. I don't want them to be harassed at work when they get back into work. Uh, and these pronoun policies and expectations are very unreasonable and don't take disability into account. And... Before we get in, into the clinical aspect of it, let, let's just look at your journey. 
What made you identify as trans for four years? Was there a particular moment? Was there, a, or was it an always a general discomfort with your body? I, I feel like I had a general discomfort both with the with my body and with the social expectations that were put on me for being female. Uh, and then I also feel like uh, from early childhood, a lot, that discomfort was uh, largely rooted in in an early childhood uh, trauma. I had a si significant injury. And I think I just felt very alienated. And I think I looked for an explanation. And the explanation I landed on was it would be different if I was a boy. And uh, that was just kind of at the back of my mind uh, and coming out in, you know, immature ways because I was a child. And then I grew up and, and uh, got to college and was exposed to these ideas, was exposed to all these people saying, yeah, me, me too, we're the same. And it was just like, oh, okay, great. I can finally like pursue this in some way. Uh, and, and it was also just kind of the thing to do. Everyone was doing it. Mm. And you said everyone was doing it. So then how did it then move on to something more serious? Did, did you have medical procedures? Did you take, uh, any type of, how can I put this hormones in order to facilitate a transition? Uh, I, I uh, took um, a kind of hormone to uh, affect uh, my menstrual cycles, but I didn't take testosterone, fortunately, and I didn't do anything else, which is I'm, I'm so grateful for. So, so I didn't take anything that would permanently change me. And the reason I didn't is because I had a, a non-gender therapist, a real therapist, who was able to help me talk through uh, my feelings about it, as well as likely outcomes of pursuing a medical intervention. And I was able to really think about it uh, with somebody that wasn't trying to push me down the assembly line. Uh, and I, I was able to see that, like, you know, this is this would introduce so much unpredictable horror, like, into my life if I was good to pursue a surgery. Um, so it was a process of talking about it with my therapist over a period of months. Mm. And as you can see, we're trying to take this conversation in a direction where people who are not clued up on this issue uh, nearly as much as you are can can understand what we're Thank talking you. about because we've been talking about it for for some time. But even we, I would certainly not consider ourselves experts in this area at all. Um, so I suppose the the sort of question that many people would be many people would be asking because the general perception I think among most people who are uninitiated in this issue is. There are some people who feel that they are in the wrong body. They are not the sex in which they were physically born. And we as a society have come to a point where we now have the medical toolkit to support those people into making changes to their body that make them feel more comfortable with who they are, quote unquote. That would be, I think, the mainstream description yes. of, of the trans position. What is incorrect about that view, in your opinion? Don't say everything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the uh, first thing is that uh, to be born into a body, you need to believe in a material or some kind of immaterial essence that, that exists apart from the body that can be then placed into the body. And that's generally considered a soul. And so we, we're, we're dealing with a, a religious concept here um, to, to be born in the wrong body. And then the second part of that is like, well, medical science can now change it. Uh, my, my goal for documenting this is to show that these are extremely experimental and we don't know what we're doing because we are trying to uh, create function and create appearance in, in a person where that's not natural, whereas medicine is supposed to be about restoring a person's natural functioning and preserving it, uh, not, not, not uh, trying to put wings on someone to see if it works, which is essentially what we're doing. It's a great point. 
What effect do these therapies have? Particularly, you can talk about it from your own experience, but also the therapies that you, thank the Lord, avoided. Ah, uh, so the 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 one I needed. It turned out that it, that that I have a sensitivity to estrogen, and so I had noticed that, and then I had made inferences about it, and I had I had uh, wanted to 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 address it. So I, I got very uh, fortunate. In, in that I was able to be observant and make make those kind of inferences and that, that I happened to also just have that sensitivity for an unrelated medical problem that I didn't know I had at the time. And now I do. So I, I just, you know, it worked. And I'm, I'm glad that, that that was all I, I did. The testosterone, the thing about testosterone is that it is a very powerful anxiety reliever. Uh, and so I watched it work really, really well to relieve untreated anxiety issues in a person that I was close to. Uh, and it was the first thing they tried and they didn't try anything else. And it did all these other changes to her. Um, so those changes that are happening in the voice, uh, when you're taking testosterone and it makes their voice drop, those changes are happening because those tissues are sensitive to testosterone and testosterone makes them grow. But your voice is not the only place those tissues exist. Those tissues are also in a lot of very important organs like the heart. And so, so my concern is that we're, we, you know, we, we know that, that, that testosterone increases your risk of heart events. That's known. When men men die earlier of causes. They don't they don't they don't just expire because that's what what their due dates had on them when they came out. So so they die of specific ways, and they typically die of heart problems. And and it's well acknowledged by these people that trans men are shortening their lifespans by doing this by taking these drugs. And, and the theory is well, it's not shorter than a regular man, which there's no evidence for, and and there's significant evidence against that claim. Um, the fact and remains they're, they're giving these teenagers drugs that will shorten their lifespan and they know it for, for a mental yeah. health issue. And puberty blockers is something that we hear a lot and young people taking them. Now, obviously, I, I'm not a physician, but the moment that I hear that they're giving kids puberty blockers to stop them going through puberty is horrendous and awful. Could you explain a little bit of what it's like when you're on puberty blockers. And number two, not just that, what are the long-term implications of taking puberty blockers? Right. Uh, so puberty blockers are, are a class of drugs called gonadotropin-releasing hormones or hormone analogs. Uh, and so the one that they give uh, that, that I'm most familiar with, which would be Lupron, but they give several others now, uh, is, is uh, I believe, 20 times as powerful as uh, the version that your body makes. And the version that your body makes uh, works by uh, developing certain structures in the brain, uh, which then release other hormones that cause the gonads to develop, which then release other hormones that cause the secondary sex characteristics to develop. So, so basically, we are, we are putting the pollution in the water very far upstream from where it was, and more towns are going to be affected as a result. So, so uh, the way that this hormone works in the body is that it has a pulsing uh, release, that causes it to grow, kind of like how plants grow because of pulsing exposure to sunlight. You have you have day, night, day, night. It's pulsing, and so that pulsing is is um, not happening if you use a puberty blocker implant because it's a continuous slow release, and that's the way that they work is that they interrupt the pulsation. That pulsing is a very complex pattern that that changes according to things like time of day and time of year. So so it's doing a lot. It's, they, they're, they're putting their brains in a dark room so that they can't grow and leaving them there. And, and, and it causes uh, profound implications. And so one thing I've talked about with I Am Jazz a lot is that my suspicion is that his, the puberty blocker implants uh, warped the development of his hypothalamus 
uh, and we know that there's a, and we, 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 we can infer a lot about how drugs work or might work from comparing them to genetic disorders that do similar things. And there's a genetic disorder called Prader-Willi syndrome, which Jazz Jennings does not have, of course. There's no reason to think he has it. But I believe that they have induced similar effects by uh, using a drug that mimics the hormone that is affected in that, that condition. And that hormone, that, that condition is caused by, uh, effect, it affects the gene that codes for gonadotropin-releasing hormone. This causes damage to the hypothalamus's development, and that causes uh, overeating. Uh, and, and so Jazz Jennings is really struggling with, with uh, eating. He's, he's very, very obese right now because he can't stop eating. And uh, so, so it, it, um, that condition uh, desensitizes basically the hypothalamus to oxytocin. And so therefore they can't, um, they don't get the comfort of, comforting reinforcement of uh, eating. And, and why is it that we trivialize this excellentic? Why is it that this is seen as something good that, you know, that if, if, if a child is suffering from gender dysphoria, if you're putting them on puberty blockers, you're doing the right and kind thing. When what you are doing, and like you've just said yourself, is irreversibly damaging their body, yeah, it's horrendous. It it is, and it and it and it affects their bone health too, because you need those sex hormones, especially estrogen, to to develop bone density. Because uh, um, you know your your bones are growing, and when they grow, your the volume and density is changing, and therefore, uh, unless you have something to increase the rate that it can become dense they will not become dense. And so we know that these these lead to things like osteoporosis uh, early in life, 20s and 30s, for kids that were put on them as children and not even for the years that they're putting them on them now for the puberty blockade. They're put, just just for, you know, a few months for for things like uh, um, precocious puberty. Uh, and so I believe your question was, why, why uh, are, is it seen as so nice? There's been a huge propaganda push and there's a lot of money behind this telling people it's reversible. You know, you are, you are, uh, this way you're not forcing them to go through their natural puberty, uh, which is to me an acknowledgement that we're playing God here. We know, we know that we're trying to change nature uh, and we're not, we're not trying to heal. We're, we're trying to actually control. And, and, and so, so, uh, you know, I mean, I'm an atheist. I don't object to playing God on principle, but here clearly it's causing a lot of harm. Hey Francis, have you decided what to get your dad for father's day? Same thing as always, a couple of pints down the dog and duck plus a new Brexit means Brexit car sticker to replace the one I got him last year. Mate, Brexit was in 2016. Do you not think he might want something a bit more up to date? Like a new Ridge wallet. This is mine. It's smooth, sleek, stylish, and it can hold 12 cards. And there's also a clip on the back for cash as well. It's not going to create a bulge in your trousers like those bulky old wallets. It'll make your dad look like a top level player. Great idea. He can also put his Brexit sticker on it which means the problematic older ladies are gonna love him. Yeah, okay. The great thing about Ridge is that they give you a lifetime guarantee, which means if you want, you can have just one wallet for the rest of your life. Ridge is so confident in their product, they'll give you 45 days to test drive their wallet. That means you can get the wallet, use it, and if you don't like it, you can return it in 45 days. Unlike Brexit. Mm. Because Ridge are such great guys, they're going to give you 15% off and free worldwide shipping and returns. That's 15% off and free worldwide shipping and returns. To take advantage of this incredible offer, go to ridge.com forward slash trigger. That's ridge.com forward slash trigger and use our special promo code, which is, of course, 
trigger. Why do you think this has been uh, mainstreamed so rapidly to the point now where I think a lot of people, the, the, the version of the story I, I presented to you at the beginning about how there are some people who are born in the wrong body. How did that become such a mainstream thing to the point where we've had laws change to accommodate this version of, of events? Uh, we've had, uh, you know, we have the Tavistock Clinic here in the UK that, that was doing a lot of this type of stuff. How has this become such a mainstream thing? It's a really good question because it it it's it's seems like people should know better. I feel like we are living through um, something similar to the satanic panic of the eighties, and so so there's kind of a, a moral panic here that there are all these kids that were that 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 were destined to self harm or end their lives uh, because of our our lack of recognition, and now we have a chance to to do the right thing, and so so there's there's kind of a moral panic, and there's a mass hysteria too, and the mass hysteria, the mass delusion is 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 that you can be born in the wrong body. You know, this, this idea that, that there is this class of people that need, need these things. And you don't agree with that. You don't think anyone can be born in the wrong body. No, I think you're born as the body you are. I, I think that, that you, your uh, consciousness is an emergent property of your brain and is, is secondary to the brain. I don't, I don't think that your consciousness is placed there by a deity. People can disagree. I don't think that this uh, secular government can uh, write laws on the basis of the theory that there, there are souls that can be in the wrong body and therefore I need to use pronouns that pretend that I believe that they have a different kind of soul than they clearly seem to have based on their body. Because I don't believe in souls. <laughs> Do you think part of the problem, Exorantic, is this? I think it's fair to say, and I think the vast majority of people would agree, that in the 80s and the 70s, we made a dreadful, dreadful mess of gay rights where gay men and gay women went through a horrendous time. They went through a horrendous time. It was awful. And there was a real struggle for them to be acknowledged on the same level as other people in society. And, th right. and thank God the, the vast majority of people now see them that way. Do you think people are looking at this trans rights issue and thinking to themselves, hang on, we messed up so badly before that this is a new gay rights movement. Yeah. I don't want to be seen as one of those horrible people telling uh, gay people that they had no right to exist. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're it's waving them through. They're saying, we don't, we don't want to go through that again. Hurry up, just come on in. But, but what we're dealing with, though, is, is a group that is aggressively mimicking uh, the gay rights struggle, copying our language, copying our experience, and then turning around and saying that we are bigots for not uh, wanting uh, to, to sleep with the opposite sex, that, that, that that is transphobic and that we're bad for saying that we only want to sleep with females. There was The, the reason I started speaking out was the, there was a huge uh, debacle on uh, TikTok last March where a guy had posted a video saying that he was only attracted to females who were born female. And he was calling it super straight. And and the whole app went nuts. And we had all of these adults pretending that they had never heard of homosexuality. And so I just started being like, speaking out and be like, no, I, I, my, my, my sexual orientations is like a, like a dousing rod. It's like, I, I can tell. I can tell that they're not women. And I'm not going to pretend that I think that they're women. Mm. But isn't the problem as well that there are trans people, you know, there are people who have suffering from some from gender dysphoria, who feel a severe discomfort in their own body. And what is happening with the politicization of their identity is these people are being turned into political pawns, which is just making the, the entire situation worse for them. Mm. Uh, 
I, uh, yeah, I, I agree with that, that there, there are people that would just prefer to like live their lives and they, they might want to dress in a way that is gender nonconforming or adopt a, a, a non-traditional name or this or that. Um, I, I don't think it's ethical for doctors to participate by, by attempting to medicalize a mental illness in that way. Uh, despite the known effects on, on other, on organs. I've, and I've said this too, that, that some of these people, you know, there's there's a lot of propaganda push that that you need specific trans rights and trans people aren't protected in employment, trans people aren't protected in housing. I totally disagree with that. I feel like they're already clearly well protected under many existing uh, categories, including religion, disability, sex, and sexuality. And so I don't understand why these forces are propagandizing trans people that they don't have rights they could assert if their landlord's discriminating against them under those categories. Uh, so so I, th- I think that, that they are uh, uh, manipulating mentally ill people into thinking that they are much more oppressed and much more marginalized than they are. And these are people who are already very anxious, perhaps because a doctor gave them a drug that blocked uh, testosterone and they're male and they need testosterone and that makes them anxious. Because we know that lack of testosterone makes men anxious. You keep, uh, keep, and this is going to sound like a stupid question, but uh, I'm asking it in order, knowing that there will be a lot of people asking it in their heads watching and listening to this, which is you keep referring to... uh, to gender dysphoria as a mental illness. Yes. Why Why do you say that? Because, again, the mainstream narrative would be, well, people are just born this way and this is how they feel inside. Yeah. Uh, so the thing is that 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 we're also told, though, that, that um, this is a situation where the person can be reasonably expected to self-harm or try to end their life yes. if, if we mm-hmm. don't intervene. And, and mentally well people aren't trying to hurt themselves or end their life. That's not a mentally well thing to do. It's a very, very confused, self-sabotaging uh, thing to do. And, and, I'm, and I'm not saying that I don't understand what it's like to feel that way. I certainly do. But it's not a sign of mental health to want to do that. And so if I'm told that this group has this extremely high likelihood, 41%, I've been told, of wanting to try to do that, that's a sign of mental distress. And so when, when you have this any sort of chronic mental distress that really impacts your life, to me, that's when it rises to the level of a mental illness. And, and uh, there's unless you have good evidence that you have a physiological problem, you should treat it as a mental illness. Well, I suppose the argument from people who are in favor of uh, helping people transition is uh, that the transitioning alleviates the distress. And, you know, we've had people on the show. Uh, we've had a lot of trans people on the show who are uh, gender critical. Uh, but we've also had at least one person on the show who had transitioned and was very happy to have transitioned. So the argument, I suppose, goes is there are some people like that for whom, not not just one, in fact, we had several. So Buck Angel, for mm-hmm. example, uh, who, who was, I think he's very happy to have transitioned. Uh, India Willoughby again. So um, isn't it the case that for some people, this is a solution that solves their problems? Uh, so the the... There's a couple things with that. One would be the existence of the placebo effect. If you uh, take a substance and expect it to help you, uh, you will likely experience some subjective benefit from that. 
uh, and uh, placebo effect is a is a real chemical effect. We can we can block it with certain certain drugs that that uh, I believe the ones that block opiate receptors will block the placebo effect. There's other drugs that will potentiate it, so it's it's a real effect. So we have that issue that these these drugs may just be placebos. Maybe they just needed a regular placebo because they're mentally ill, and so they needed to believe that they were being treated for their non illness in order to not experience the symptoms of the mental illness. Uh, and so at that point, you're like, is it is it justified? Could there been a, have been a better placebo that didn't uh, cause them to have heart disease and die several years earlier than they would have? Uh, or in uh, Buck Angel's case, I believe uh, uh, Buck had a sepsis uh, from from the um, vaginal atrophy from the testosterone and also nearly died from that. And so there's a huge community pressure against regretting these interventions. And so they don't. They vote very vocally or very happy about them if they want to remain a, a church member in good standing. Um so, uh, uh, and then, and then finally, as I mentioned, the things like testosterone, estrogen, they, they can have, um, they're having metabolic effects in the brain. We know that, and we know that they can interact with anxiety and other things. So it's very possible that, that they are, uh, treating a men's, uh, a physical illness and, or using it as a psychotropic mental illness treatment, uh, an anxiety reliever. And that that's why their life is better on it. And again, we're back to, was there a better way? that didn't cause these other problems that are then going to burden society with these issues. Like I, uh, having, having to take care of some of these, these complications in a nursing home in a person who's, who's, you know, several decades down the road and, and these problems didn't go away that they acquired in their twenties. I interviewed somebody that, that underwent vaginoplasty to, or sorry, to a phalloplasty at a children's hospital and vaginectomy. And the vaginectomy was so, so botched that, that this person ended up with a, um, a colostomy bag from it. Wow. Right. So based on that, then, am I hearing you correctly that you, if it were up to you, people would not be transitioning, they would be getting some kind of talk, talking therapy to help them deal with the mental illness of feeling like they're in the wrong body, but they wouldn't be getting any physical or hormonal help, if you like, if if you can call it help. Uh, So the... I, I would not not agree with that because um, we we use medications to treat mental illnesses at times. What I want is for these patients to have the full range of options and not be told that one, that this specific mental illness means that that only this one specific treatment will help, because there's not really any evidence for that. We, we have we've never done a, a placebo controlled uh, double blinded trial of, of whether mastectomies make you feel better because we can't do a sham mastectomy. We can't pretend to do a mastectomy and see if they feel better anyway. Mm. They're going to know. The doctors are going to know. We can't do a double-blinded trial. These aggressive radical interventions are justified in terms of cancer because we know that the cancer is about to kill them. So it's okay to do these things that don't have double-blinded control trials because there's still a reasonable reason to think it'll help. We don't have that for here. We're trying to cut out the feelings cancer. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Um, so, but, but whereas uh, if, if they're getting a comprehensive intervention, uh, hormonal modification may be a part of it. I do not believe that cross-sex hormones at cross-sex doses are clinically justified for mental illness. No, I don't think there's any evidence for that. However, I know that from my case that, that I personally benefited from a hormonal intervention that was not a cross-sex hormone uh, to modify something that turned out to be a physical uh, illness. And, 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 and so I, I, I wouldn't bar it wholesale because these hormones have profound effects in the brain. Um, for, for, for both sexes, uh, even the sex hormones that are associated with your sex can be affecting your mental health. So, so I, I, I don't, I wouldn't want to say that having gender dysphoria precludes certain options either, but these options are bad. These options are very bad and unjustified. 
And, and was there a specific moment for you where you were in your period as a trans person where you actually thought, hang on, this is a right, there's something not right here that basically put you on the path to recovery, as it were, mentally? Yeah, it was a few things. Uh, one was that um, the speed that 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 someone I, I was very close with went from uh, her first appointment with the gender therapist to a mastectomy. That was very concerning. It was about eight months. I felt like that was way too fast. Um, at her age, she was like 21 and and had no history of it. Like it was all it was like a totally rapid onset because she met me of all things, and I and I introduced her to the concept, and then she had a head injury. Uh, she's hit by a car. And so everyone knew, everyone, all of her doctors knew because she went to the hospital. She's overnight. It was well known. And they still let her go through with it a couple months later. You know, she needed, she needed actual therapy to deal with the head injury. Uh, I, I do brain injury therapy now. She needed, she needed concussion therapy and they just, they just waved her through. And uh, I watched that recovery. I was, I, I was very close right up in the aftermath, watched her drain her, her blood bags, watched her chest feed a bag. It was attached to it through a tube and, and it just was, I could just tell it just wasn't right. It was, this person was, was engaged in a, in a, in a pursuit of, of, uh, religious ecstasy. And then, and then it got the real, the real turning point for me was when, uh, she got really upset that she came across a study for an HIV drug that was about preventing transmission between, uh, gay men or men, men who are, were sleeping with men at least. And, um, she thought that she deserved to be in the trial because she was on testosterone and that made her a man now. And, and it was just so unreasonable. It was like, no, you're not, you're not male. And it's really important for drug research that we have a male research trial and a female research trial, because when you treat females as a kind of male, females die from the drugs because we're not men. We're, we're categorically different. Our biology is very different. Wow. And what happened to this person? Uh, we we kind of uh, lost touch uh, after I, I went off to grad school. We, we tried to stay in touch a little bit, but then but then uh, uh, lost touch. So I'm not exactly sure what happened to her um, after that. I know that she she went on to to, to kind of get a uh, stuck working for some trans organization, I think. So so, but I worry and, about and her. These- I don't I don't know what happened after that. And these people who transition and then decide to detransition, what are their lives like, Excellentic? I know they're a broad group, but on the whole, are there any patterns or correlations that you notice? Well, the, the ones that I've talked to, uh, there's certainly a lot of uh, uh, sadness about uh, the permanent changes to their voice um, and, and uh, um, or se- in some cases more semi-permanent because really, they're, 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 it's very unpredictable. Uh, what kinds of, of sensitivity you have in your voice, and they're giving them very random doses. Some of these doctors for for random lengths of time, so it's it's it can be very unpredictable how how it'll affect them. Um, and then there there's other bodily changes that are permanent, um, genitalia changes that can be permanent after testosterone. So there's there's a lot of just regret. A lot of people saying they didn't. Nobody told them a lot of these things, um, and. Uh, uh, sadness at, at having undergone a mastectomy after just a couple months because they were in their first ever manic episode and nobody slowed them down because of the cultural belief that if you have this specific preoccupation, you know, it's never anything else. It's always standalone. It's always clearly point A to point B. You just need this and you'll be fine. It's a very simplistic model. 
Mm. Mm. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, because I, I used to be a teacher, so I've taught kids for many years, for 12 years, and towards the end of my career, I started to notice kids saying that they were, you know, gender non-conforming, that they were non-binary. And, and I looked at a lot of these kids, and the, my initial reaction was like, no, you're just a gay kid. You're just gay, and that's difficult to come to terms with. It is. You know, it is. You know, and that, you know, it's, it's so hard. Yeah, it's even in 2022, it's not easy, particularly when all you want to do as a kid is fit in. It's do you think that's part of the it's problem? Yeah. No, I, it's, it's, it was, it's really hard for me to come out. Really, yeah. really hard. Uh, and, and I wanted there to be another way and it, and it makes sense. It makes sense. Like, Oh, well, maybe I'm just supposed to be a boy. I also like at, at the time I was very, uh, I, I thought of it as like that, that you, you learn a social language from other people by watching them and you kind of do. But the problem with that theory was the idea that you would only learn one or the other sexes patterns or that there was one set of binary patterns that, that you'd pick one or the other. It's like, it's, it's obviously it's this shared uh, dialogue and, and, you know, that's kind of the basis of drag for instance, is, is this taking on the other, other person's, uh, uh, way of, uh, you know, behavioral speech patterns, if you will. And so, so, um, I, I, I fully agree that there's, there's a lot of confusion when you're growing up as a gay kid in a society that's, that's very heteronormative and, and you're, you, you're watching all this media as a child and the person that you want to be with, only wants to be with the other sex. And so it's it's confusing and it's hard. And so you you come up with other reasons why you don't have to be the embarrassing thing of being gay. And, and you know, eventually you have to kind of come to terms. But at, at the time in, in, in college, like, you know, I, I, I was I was trying to date a man who was trans feminine on the theory that, you know, it was good enough. He was a very feminine man, very, very feminine man. <laughs> but no, it's not the same. It's just not, it doesn't work. Because whenever I speak to people about this, the first people that I spoke to who were raising the alarm about this were actually gay women. Mm -hmm. What do you think it is in particular about gay women who were the first ones to notice it, were the first ones to raise alarm, were the first ones to really talk about this? Uh, I, th I think a few things. Um, one is that that uh, lesbians are targeted by the trans-identifying men a lot more than men are targeted by trans-identifying women. It does happen, especially lately. It seems more and more that, that we're having trans-identifying women identifying as gay men and then going and harassing gay men for not wanting to, to be with them. But I feel like that was at least initially more of a problem of men towards lesbians. Uh, and, and so that's why we saw it more there. I think we also like puberty is physically uncomfortable if you're a female. And so I think it's, we're, we're more likely to, to feel a bit alienated and dissociated from our bodies as a result of that. Uh, just, just everything that's, that's growing and changing just hurts on, on a physical level. So, um, I think that, that it, it was perhaps easier to, for, for women to understand why, why the rapid onset thing would appeal to women. Um, from the t statistics I've seen, it seems like the, uh, girls are, 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 making up the bulk of these referrals these days it's it and that's that's represented a real shift um away from from the past and uh and also just 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 the reality of of uh female only spaces and 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 uh, being being victimized by voyeurs and flashers and you know all, all, all these things just make us more aware of the fact that of male predators 
and being uh, gay, you know, there's no there's no confusion about like I didn't want that. I didn't I didn't want this interaction. There, I was not sending signals. No signals were sent. Mm. And I've That's told you I don't want males. That's a really interesting point that I haven't heard before, but it makes so much sense. Mm. Makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned the rapid onset stuff. I mean, wh- whichever position you're coming at this issue from, I think the one thing that everybody would accept is this issue has shot up to prominence. And partly that is not only the coverage of it, but it's also the sheer numbers have changed completely in the last few years. Why has that happened? I have a few things. I think, uh, well, COVID, I think, has been a huge, huge issue. Um, uh, that's something that that uh, I, I did a review of a, a five-person panel from Boston Children's Hospital, which is the hospital that did the vaginectomy on the person that I interviewed that I just was discussing who ended up with the colostomy bag. And in that interview, they were saying that, oh, well, they think their theory was that everyone was at home during COVID and they all just felt safer to come out. I think that everyone's home at COVID on TikTok and they all were bored and they thought of something that would be interesting and they thought of a scavenger hunt that would be fun to pursue. Um, so, so, uh, I think that was part of it. Everybody, uh, was just kind of, you know, home thinking about it. I also think, uh, uh, you know, the, one of the, the manufacturers of the, of one of the puberty blockers got in trouble, uh, a number of years ago for, for paying doctors to prescribe them, uh, for, for their, uh, precocious puberty. So I, I just feel like there's, there's a huge amount of money behind this. And we, it came out, uh, in the last couple of weeks that like, uh, the NHS, I believe is, is also starting to pay doctors per patient, for prescribing the cross-sex hormones. Um, so I, I don't know whether that specifically they know about that with puberty blockers, but it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me um, if the manufacturer was doing that, at least privately. But why are more people presenting with this, uh, with this issue? Uh, I think that they've heard about it and, and it seems like an explanation that makes sense uh, and it makes their distress not their fault and therefore not really their responsibility. Uh, and it makes it other people's fault and it's an opportunity to uh, kind of control other people around you uh, and and regain a sense of control that way. Um, but I, I think the big thing is that it's popular. It's all over social media uh, and um, that there's 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 a lot of money behind it. I've also seen a video where it was a, um, a young person on TikTok. I think they said that they were 14 or 15. And they said that the doctor had actually called their parents and direct marketed uh, puberty blockers uh, to the child on the basis of the fact that the doctor thought the child had gender dysphoria based on the child's outfit, based on the child's preference for a baseball cap and, and, a, and a collared shirt. And, and the child said that, that she hadn't heard of that before, but it made a lot of sense and that she was mad because her parents were mad and said no, but she was going to still try to figure out how to get on it. And this was posted to TikTok uh, by the child. So... Right, so you, you basically got a tomboy who walks into a doctor's office and works walks out with a prescription. Yeah, and and wow. uh, so obviously they're going to be targeting uh, uh, lesbians disproportionately, uh, who are a bit uncomfortable with the fact that that they don't look like the group that that, that is attract that that the group that they want to be with is attracted to. You know, it's 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 I feel like normal and natural. I'm not saying any 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 girl that 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 dresses in, in like a tomboy is gay, uh, but but if you go after the tomboys, you're going to get a lot of gays. You're going to get a lot of lesbians. Yeah, and it, it also makes sense that if someone appears, you know, if it's a woman who appears more masculine uh, than, than the average female or the other way, a boy who appears more feminine than the average boy, inevitably they're going to feel more uncomfortable with their bodies because they don't feel that they're conforming, which then means they're then going to be put at risk of transitioning, Yeah, particularly in your teenage years. And let's talk about autism because I feel that, 
this is something that we don't talk about enough. Uh, I read a stat, I think it was 35% of all people or children who transition are autistic or have been identified as having autism. Wow. Now, that to me is just a horrifying stat. Can, can, you, can you talk a little bit about that? What is the link between autism and gender dysphoria? Are we seeing more kids with autism uh, being put through this path? Uh, sure, yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. So, so um, autism has two main uh, components, which would be the sensory component and the social pragmatic component. And the social pragmatic component would be social language, social thinking, theory of mind, understanding other people and why they do what they do. And so as a speech pathologist, I treat social pragmatic disorders. And so I treat a lot of autistic kids. I don't, I don't uh, diagnose autism, but I treat the social pragmatic component of it if it's present. Um, and with autism, that's, that's core diagnostic. So it's, it's present. And, um, so, so the issue with that is that, that they don't understand how these interactions unfold. And so they're very, very more likely to think that they have to look a certain way for them to unfold correctly. Like they don't, they don't get it. They don't get why people are like that. And they want, they want to have successful interactions and they get in their head that they need to be the other sex, perhaps because they're gay and they have only seen those kinds of interactions successful when they're opposite sex interactions. And, and so, so, so I believe uh, uh, that and then the sensory component too is something that may, that may uh, change, uh, especially the anxiety component, um, when you give them an anxiety relieving drug like testosterone. And then we're back to like, well, would something else be better? So, so I do think that, that there's a, a, lot, a connection there where, where somebody who lacks social pragmatic understanding and theory of mind is more likely to come to bad conclusions about um, why they're socially unsuccessful. Yeah, and, and particularly with autism where they do tend to feel more anxiety because the, yeah. the way they move That's through the world Brandon is very said. different. It's very difficult for them, like you said, to understand social interactions. And if you don't understand the rules of a game and you're constantly being fooled to play the game, it's incredibly yeah. frustrating and anxiety-inducing. So that, that right. does make complete sense. And then they, they have a difficulty in general, which I believe to be on a like neurological level, with, with transitions, with transitioning. And that's that's kind of infamous for autism. They don't they don't want to move to the next activity. They'll they'll get very upset and conversations are full of transitions my turn your turn my turn those are transitions and if you if you are emotionally very uh, upset from transitions if they fatigue you on a chemical level and and, I, and it, it does with autism it's, it's it's chemically fatiguing somehow they don't have the the neural structures in place for that stamina to cope with all these transitions you know it's it's you want to have things like a preferred topic you only want to talk about pokemon because then it's my turn then i can just talk and i know what you're going to say you're going to say oh cool and then i get to say another fact and then you say oh cool and then i get to say another fact and then you know around and around we go and and that's a way of of controlling the conversation to reduce anxiety and to minimize uh, conversational transitions and, and unexpected turns. Um, and and uh, being trans is another way of structuring conversations and structuring friendships for people who are socially deficient. Something to talk uh, about. Yeah, it's something to talk about. And particularly when you look at the rate of diagnosis with boys and girls, far more boys get diagnosed with autism than girls do because it yeah. presents in a, in a far more obvious way with boys, whereas girls, they tend to, you know, 
Boys are also genetically different, so so yeah. you know, they're more prone to it for for chemical reasons. They don't have a second X chromosome coding for a lot of things, so they're getting a lower dose of certain chemicals, and so boys develop more slowly than girls mm. across the board. But, but as a result, we don't identify, I, I diagnose a lot of girls with autism. So do you sure. think it could be that these girls are autistic? I do autistic? think it gets overlooked. I don't know if it's autism specifically, but I do think that, that girls are overlooked for developmental disorders. Um, that, that make them, uh, I guess, uh, they're more likely to just be stigmatized for their lack of social understanding, I believe, and, and expected to, to figure it out. And, and also, uh, girls tend to be, uh, more verbal, whether they have autism or not. Uh, and so that might be a reason that it gets, uh, overlooked. Some very problematic truth bombs mm-hmm. being dropped here about girls being more verbal mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Girls very, and boys very are different. Con- controversial. There's very controversial. much a female brain. It's very controversial. I will defend this hill. (laughs) Well, we will all, I think, defend this very controversial hill. Hey, Francis, do you like podcasts and politics? No, mate. I'm a real man, which means I only talk about football, birds and cars. You hate physical exercise. You're in a relationship. And the last time you tried to drive a car, you had a panic attack when you got overtaken by a granny. She was driving very aggressively and used disgusting language for a woman of her age. Well, for those of you who are bored of the shouting and nonsense that is spread by the mainstream media, you have to check out The Lost Debate. It's a perfect podcast if you like politics and friendly discussion. It's three mates from across the political spectrum talking about the big issues without finger pointing and meltdowns. Ricky's a New York Post columnist, Corey's a former Fox Radio News host, and Ravi's a former Obama staffer and school head teacher. They focus on having constructive discussions and trying to see the world from a variety of different perspectives. Plus, they sound like real people and not media commentators. They sound like us, mate, apart from the whole sound like real people bit. Do a catchphrase. Get in the cam, you can. Search for The Lost Debate wherever you get your podcasts, and it's on YouTube as well. Check it out. And look, I suppose the question I want to ask you is, you know, we've been talking about this issue for probably three years now, two or three years since we first sort of mm. ventured into it. Uh, and the more we learned, the more horrified we became as to some of the things that had been happening. Uh, we've had former whistleblowers from the Tavistock Clinic here in the UK and, and, and many, many other people on the show to talk about it since the first time. Do you feel like some progress is being made in at least slowing the pendulum, if not perhaps getting it to start swinging back towards the sensible direction? Um, or, you know, or do you feel that the madness is accelerating? Because it's kind of hard to know. On the one hand, in the UK, we see some of the debate is being had and some of the laws are not quite going as far as they might have done. And various organizations that used to be very powerful are no longer quite having the same influence. On the other hand, every time you open a fucking newspaper, there's some some trans person who's got, quote unquote, her penis out in the mm-hmm. middle of the street. We, as we're recording, this has happened, right? Here and the day before, we read a story in the in the prison in New York. A trans woman impregnated several women, and and on and on it goes. So, like, is, as someone who's paying attention to this, what do you think is happening? Are we moving towards a healthy direction, uh, or or is it just getting worse? It's so hard to say. I think I've, I've seen some promising things, such as Texas's uh, stance on uh, whether these interventions are abuse or not. Uh, Arkansas, I think, or Alabama, one of the, one of the A's, uh, 
just passed a law about it too, or, or is trying to pass a law. So, so I'm, I'm starting to feel a little bit optimistic that some of the states are pushing back, but at the same time, uh, my state, California, uh, Los Angeles, which is where I grew up, uh, uh, is, is either uh, about to, or just put a, uh, 26 year old man in a juvenile female facility because he identifies as a female and he was a minor when he committed the crime. It's like, well, he was, he was a man, he was, he was a man when he committed the crime. He wasn't identifying as a female when he committed the crime, but he's identifying as a female now. So he's going to the female prison and he was a juvenile. So he's going to the juvenile prison. So they, they don't have a line. They're going to keep, this group is going to keep pushing the boundaries because, uh, because they like crossing boundaries. Crossing boundaries is the point. So, so if they can get a male adult male sex predator into a juvenile female facility, that's what they're going to do. And that's what they did. They did. His name's Hannah Tubbs. Um, there's, there's. It's, it's, it's so, so, so on the prison front, for instance, it appears to very much be accelerating. They're just, they're just shoving them in right now. And, and, uh, people haven't woken up yet to the fact that the, of the, of the ongoing horrors that these women are being subjected to for the crime of being female while having committed a crime. It is cruel and unusual punishment, especially emphasis. I mean, it's, it's obviously cruel, but it's clearly unusual to, uh, subject a prisoner to a risk of pregnancy. You cannot do that to a man. That makes it unusual. Therefore, you can't do it to a woman. And that's well, in our constitution. I've, I don't know. No, 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 no. Look, uh, I mean, the the idea that someone with a male anatomy is going to be in a female prison to me just shows that we have gone completely off the fucking rails, and it's absurd, right? Yeah. The, the fact that you've got male athletes physically male athletes competing against women, including Liar in Thomas. contact sport, including in, co- it's just absurd. And again, shows how far often the fact that we're transitioning children. I mean, this is my personal opinion. Again, it, it's, they're not capable of consent. Yeah, they're not. They're not. And that's the thing is that they want to, they're pushing it because they want us to accept the idea that young people can consent to radical uh, uh, touching of their genitals. If a child can consent to to having their penis inverted, why can't the child consent to having their penis touched by an adult? Now, look, I've heard this argument a lot, and it's not an argument I necessarily reject out of hand. But what is your evidence for that? Why are you saying that that is the case? Uh, why am I saying that is the case? Well, here's here's an example. Uh, Dr. Marcy Bowers of the WPATH uh, said on camera, and I am Jazz, he joked about how Jazz could be a porn star while he was photographing Jazz's genitals. So that in order to get this midline, we need to bring that down more and that will centralize this. I think we're saying the same thing. I'm happy. I, I have a good sense of what we need to do. Let me just take a, a picture too. Poor thing. You could be a porn star for all the photos we've taken. <laughs> God, I'm so sorry. I did not say we that. We have to just keep joking around here or otherwise we don't get through. Right. God knows if we didn't laugh in the last six months, we all wouldn't right, have made it. I guess it. I'll get dressed again. You get dressed again. While he was photographing Jazz's genitals, while he was doing that, he was joking about how you might as well be a porn star. I, I'm sorry, he's 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 clearly getting a thrill from this. He's 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 an AGP. We know that that's a sexual illness. He he likes he likes what he's doing. He likes touching children in this way and harming them. This is my firm belief. The pornography joke to me clinched it because he made it in front of the child and in front of the family. He was trying to see what he could get away with, in my opinion. Uh, and so, so my other evidence for this is that organizations like WPATH are actively including a lot of fetish information in, in their, their publications. They're including information, for instance, about castration fetishes and eunuch fetishes and sissification and things like that. 
it's in their their actual materials that that they're directly connecting to this so so um that's 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 why i feel like that is uh, behind this uh, um as 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 well as other other uh statements from um just just the idea that you can that you can consent to these things is um but surely what what you've talked about is like two individual instances does that therefore mean that there is a greater trend across the uh, across the entire profession or, or the people who are treating gender dysphoria? I believe that the people that are very essential to treating it um, are people that don't understand that children are children uh, and that are very um, preoccupied with their sexual development. I, I, I don't think that you can... Uh, Be interested in protecting children's uh, innocence and sexual development, uh, and also be doing this to them, knowing that you are, are robbing them of sexual function in the future. Uh, so, so I, I just don't see how someone could know that this is what they're doing to a child and not want to be doing it to the child. And and I don't see wanting to do it for a good reason because they are taking the child's sexual function. Jazz Jennings has said that he doesn't have any sexual sensation. Um, he has since in this recent episode described being penetrated and it looked like it was quite a horrible experience for him. I mean, the, this is a very, very difficult thing to talk about. Yeah. But the problem that, that I, I, I have with, with the discussion as we're having it is we're talking about people who are transitioning and, you know, doctors doing it. Do you not just sometimes do you not think that there's a more charitable explanation for this, which is, look, these doctors think they're doing the right thing, you know, just Some in the, the way the doctors the right who who provided thalidomide to pregnant mothers for pain relief thought they were doing the right thing, you know. I, I, I agree with you that some of these doctors uh, believe that they're doing the right thing and don't know enough about the drugs they're prescribing to know what they're actually doing or how the drugs work. Uh, but at that point, I feel like you're you're getting to the point where, where they should know and, and we should have an expectation um, because if they think they're doing the right thing because they're deferring to authority figures telling them. So so it is it is the, the medical equivalent of the Nuremberg defense. I was just following orders. Well, they could have done their own research and, and they should have because they were a treating doctor. And, and they're not because they're right. They're but that's a very orders. different point to the idea that they right. enjoy touching the kids. Right? Yeah. 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 That's... Yeah. So, so there's, there's the people that are, are pushing this initially and are, and are the reason that it's gone as far as it has. And then there, there are likely the majority at this point of doctors who are following orders and doing what they think is the right thing. So, so I definitely don't, I'm not saying that they are all pedophiles. Because to me, it's, it's a very serious accusation to make against you know, a, a lot of people who I think, I personally think they're misguided in what they're doing from sure. my experiences being an educator. And if, if, if my child, God forbid, identified in that way, uh, there is no way that I would allow them to do it. But it's, yeah. it's, it's another thing to then say it's because they get a sexual thrill from touching it. Surely that is a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of people in the medical profession, which you would probably find... In, in every profession, every profession, there are unfortunately predators, etc. Right. So so when I'm talking about like the predators behind this and pushing this, that I, I agree that it is it is a minority of the medical profession. It is a minority of the people that are prescribing this, especially now. 
and that a lot of the people that are behind that that I would I would class in that camp are also not medical professionals, but they are the ones who are driving the policies uh, and are and are um, behind uh, the the propaganda. And especially the fact that, that that it wasn't more fully vetted, that they went, jumped straight into doing these treatments without actually researching them. Um, if, if they were concerned about protecting the children, they wouldn't have done that. But at this point, that small and vocal and, and, and truly disturbed minority um, has propagandized the medical field and has captured a lot of institutions somehow. Okay, I see. So what you so just to just to be clear, uh, what I'm, I heard and correct me if I misheard is that you think there is a small minority of people who've managed to who who are predators in one way or another who've managed to influence many other people into supporting their worldview and their ideology. Yeah, yeah, through through uh, carefully crafted propaganda that that influenced me at one point. I see. Well, it's it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting. I was going to say it's an interesting way of looking at it. It's a way of looking at it that I you know I we were keen to challenge because I, I think a lot of people like to throw the label around mm-hmm. at people they don't agree with, uh, and I think it's important to remember that you know even if you're la- if you're if you're making that allegation against some people. It's not. It's not going to be everybody. There might be a small minority of people who are like that. Right. Right. Most most of the people who are pushing this, I believe, are are, are acting in good faith or are being paid by the manufacturer to just prescribe a drug. Uh, and then there's a small and vocal minority who who is actually in it for the eunuch fetish, for the castration fetish. And we know that from this very prominent trans organization that's extremely influential talking about it. Well, on that happy note um, uh, of castration fetishes, Excellent, it's uh, it's been great to have you uh, on the show to talk about some of this stuff. And I I would say particularly in the first part of the interview when you know I really appreciated the direct and directness and bluntness with which you talk about this issue uh, thank you. because I, th- I think that's very important actually. Um, so thank you for coming on. I know that you are now banned from YouTube for reasons that. As always, you don't know because mm. yeah. uh, they won't tell you what you've done wrong. Uh, what What is your situation now? Wh- how, where are you with with you know your your content? So so currently, my my content is on both Odyssey and Rumble, um, and uh, can be accessed uh, through either looking for the t- channels TTXLanzic or, or XLanzic.com. Uh, right now, is pointing to Odyssey. Um, and, uh, so I'm, I'm still uploading videos usually, uh, once or twice a week, uh, where I, I look at different content, the I am jazz series or, or phalloplasty files, things like that. Uh, I've tried to perfect. get back on YouTube a couple times, but they, they keep banning me. Well, that's not perfect, but we, uh, we wish you all the best. Uh, Thank you. and we're going to ask you a couple of questions from our supporters, uh, that only they will see on our locals page. But before we do, we always end the show with one final question. Which is, what's the one thing we're not talking about, but we really should be? The one thing we're not talking about that we really should be. Oh, goodness. Um, I feel like that we are not talking and should be talking more about the the spinal impacts of binding and and things about that nature. I've been doing a few videos lately on that. And it's like people talk about the bindings effects on breasts, but I think that we need to talk about the spine as if it's like the foot. And we need to recognize that if we're putting 13-year-olds in binders, they're going to end up with, with deformations. So we need to be very careful about that. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. We thank you for watching. 
If you have enjoyed this episode, our episodes always go out on Wednesday and Sunday, 7 p.m. UK time. And our Raw shows go out Thursday, Friday and Saturday. We also have a podcast if you like your trigonometry on the go. Thank you so much again for watching. Take care and we'll see you soon, guys. Do you feel that if you were brought up in a culture where female roles are different, would you still have dysphoria? Before you go, consider joining our exclusive member feed. As a member, you'll get ad-free and extended interviews. Click the membership link in the podcast description or find the exclusive episodes link on your podcast listening app to join us.